This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, Jackie, and this week I'm joined by my co-host who's back from holiday, Rahul. I'm not sure you're back and excited to talk about Chelsea, but welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Why did I come back? <laughs> <laughs> you can tell this is going to be a pessimistic episode. No, listen, listen. We need to do our best to take the negativity out of this and maybe evaluate, but I think it's easier said than done today. How was your holiday? It was good. It was good. It went well. Of course, Chelsea played the one game while I was on vacation, and I'm sitting at the beach looking at my phone, trying to keep up with the game and try to relax while being at the beach, you know, enjoy a couple of drinks. But Chelsea find a way to just stress me out um during that time and and ruin my little time at the beach but it was okay after that <laughs> that's how you know he's a true chelsea fan even on vacation even on the beach in europe he finds a way to check the scores and then decides really quickly he should not be checking <laughs> the scores and going back to vacation but i'm glad you had a little break my friend it was a good summer and now we're wrapping up into fall obviously it's going to get busy in the premier league season so let's jump right into it and cover burnmouth so a bit of a bogey team for us, Rahul, in recent history. Obviously, the game ends nil-nil, so I don't know if that's a bogey or we got away with breaking our bogey there. But why don't we run through the starting 11 and walk through the team? Yeah, so Rob Sanchez in goal, uh, Malaguso, Di Sassi, Thiago Silva, Colwell, back four, back three, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, Connor Gallagher, Leslie Uguchukwu comes well in for his debut. Sterling, Enzo, Mudrick, and Nicholas Jackson. Yeah, so like you said, Rob Sanchez picks himself at this point. He's the first-choice goalkeeper. Back four or back three, Rahul? This is a very interesting <laughs> debate. Thiago Silva, I think even Pochettino has said it's a back four. I don't know if Levi Colwell at the left back is considered part of a four necessarily. I know we've got Ben Chilwell, who is our vice captain, doesn't make the team. I know we've got Ian Matson. There were rave reviews about him all preseason. I even asked Pochettino about him. And love him or hate him, Cucurella as well is a natural left back and can play there. Your thoughts on Levi Colwell playing that left back position? It's it's a bit strange because we know he prefers the, the center back position. Mm -hmm. We know we've got, like you said, three left backs at the at the club. We've seen Ben Chilwell play as a left winger, or if you want to say left wing back. Um, and we also know that it's it, it's a fluid formation. It goes from a four to a three, depending on if we're attacking, we're defending, we're in possession. But when you have a left back, right, and, and in this case it's Levi Colwell primarily doing that role, who's not a left back, you're going to miss out on certain aspects of the buildup. Mm -hmm. You're going to miss out on certain aspects of the attack or looking for a run or, or connecting with your winger. And that's where it's a little frustrating as a fan because you you look at it and you're like, you're forcing this, Pochettino, because you want to play all three center backs and have that yeah. three uh, while you're defending. But it's hurting the team because you have Gusto who goes up, but then you also have 
of course, Mudrik, who's doing it in this game, or Chowell in the other game, but th- Chowell and Gusto aren't goal scorers. They're, they can they can put in a cross, they can put in um, the balls into the box, but we have a whole different issue with, with getting into the box and scoring. So it just feels a little forced. It doesn't feel natural like we saw in preseason. And I know a lot of fans come back to, well, preseason was so good, and you and I watched it firsthand, yeah. and we're scoring goals for fun, and um all of a sudden it's just all that positivity and all that fluidity has gone away and you can point towards injuries of Nkunku of and Chukumeka, but we we a club of our size and how much we've spent we can't point towards that and say well that's where everything fell apart and now we're playing players out of position and I think that's where we want to pick the argument right is even the starting 11 we're talking about Rahul Fernandez 100 million pound player Uguchuku young but 20 30 million Conor Gallagher, people were wanting to pay $50 million for him. Levi Colwell, Brighton offered $30, $40 million for him. Silva, very good veteran, has all the skills. I think De Sassi comes in for 30 Gusto for 20 Mudrik is £80 million. Raheem's to £50 million. So if you tell me that this team made up of, quote-unquote, injuries is ruining it, you know that's a, an argument you and I can have all day. And I know it's not going to be an argument because we're on the same page as to this team on paper should be able to beat the likes of Burnmouth and don't want to blame too much on the team of Pochettino. I'm not sure as we talked through this what's going on in the squad. It's more of trying to analyze this game for what it is. And tactically, a back three, back four is so strange to me because you are right. We did see more of a traditional back four in preseason, and we saw kind of the benefits of it. Of course, yes, it's preseason, but you would argue that maybe Brighton played very well in preseason versus a Bournemouth who even though it is season, they're not necessarily up to the mark of a Brighton. And that's full respect to Burnmouth because they earned the draw and they grind out that draw. But I'm looking across this team and I'm looking at the back and wondering, why are we trying to squeeze in three? And I think we we discussed against Liverpool, you want to have that extra man for cover. But against Luton, against Burnmouth, against some of these teams, does it really make sense? And that's kind of where this argument goes. Ultimately, Pochettino has a vision, and I think we have to give him a little more time than we gave Graham Potter before we all started calling for heads to roll. But we can analyze and we can criticize. So I'll run into the midfield, Rahul, and talk a little bit about Enzo Fernandez. I thought he struggled to get too involved in the game. I'm not saying he wasn't involved. I thought he did have opportunities. But we see him more in this attacking front, maybe more of like a 10, dare I say, and Enzo is more suited to maybe playing a little deeper without too much running up and down the pitch. What did you make of him being kind of shoehorned into this number 10 position? Do you think Pochettino is experimenting still in early days? Or is he going to point at injuries and say, well, I don't have Carney and I don't have Nkunku, so I have to squeeze Enzo in here? I, I think that's what he's going to point to. And ultimately, that's what he's doing is putting Enzo in that 10 and saying, well, I don't really trust you or see that you have the... The legs, and not to say that Enzo isn't fast or doesn't have the the work rate, but when you compare it to a Gallagher, you just get a little bit more out of Connor mm-hmm. Gallagher in midfield with with the pressing or with closing down or helping out with defense, but also with attack. And in certain parts of this game, you saw Connor Gallagher just having freedom yeah. for midfield to to push forward and make the runs. And and I think if it's switched and it's Enzo who's kind of making these runs and has the vision. We've seen it last season where he was forced to play as that main or mm-hmm. uh, central midfielder uh, in the absence of a Jorginho and a Conte and, and Kovacic with injury. 
Enzo was doing it. Not that I'm saying this was the best thing that had happened, but he was doing it and he was doing a decent job. He was coming into attack and providing those dink crosses or yeah. passes. And that's where I think he was kind of flourishing. Mm-hmm. And he did start off in, in that pivot against Liverpool. If we were talking about that Liverpool game where it was him. And I'm trying to think, I think it was Connor as well. And we saw Enzo, arguably the best player on the pitch mm-hmm. that day with his flicks and his movement and, and connecting with their attackers. And since then he's been pushed forward again, maybe injuries, but to me, it's, it's a pretty simple fix It's just flip Enzo and Connor and let Connor go further forward. And we said this maybe a few episodes ago, and I'm not sure if it was online or, or it was offline when we were talking, but Connor did that role for Crystal Palace on loan yep. two seasons ago. So, I would almost want to see Enzo come deeper and say, be that deep lying playmaker or, or connecting our uh, defense and attack and let end and let Connor be that number 10. That is a little more attacking and is a little more pressing from, from forward with the closing down defenders. But Pochettino sees it one way. We see it a different way. Ultimately it's Pochettino's decision, but I'm just hoping that he's learning some of these things mm-hmm. on the go because Preseason was one thing, and he had all these players, but we've seen injuries and and even players come in now mm-hmm. that he's got to bring through and and just adapt to. So he's learning on the job. It's unfortunate that it's happening while we're not winning because when you're winning, some of these things get covered, and you and I aren't, aren't, aren't sitting here and saying Enzo should be further down yeah. and, and Connor should be further up. But that's the that's the beauty of being Chelsea manager. You get scrutinized and criticized regardless of what's going on on the pitch. And, you know, I, I think the luxury of winning, Rahul, you said it best, is I'd like to think maybe you and I would have the tactical awareness to say, yes, Enzo should not be playing higher because instead of winning 1-0 and we complain less, we'd be winning 3 or 4-0 because he's making those chances. But, yes, I think he would find a lot more room playing from deep. Maybe that the only thing I can think of is that Enzo does maybe lack in his defensive awareness or defensive ability. And so with Ugochuku coming in, new-ish first start in the Premier League, someone like Akana who does have the pace or the the tenacity, maybe that's the right word, to cover ground and help him. So it does make him look like a better player. That may be the thinking with, with Pochettino there. But you already talked about Gallagher. You talked about his pressing, closing down. For me, he was one of the best players on the pitch, barring scoring a goal. And I think that's what he needs to add in the final third because we are expecting more from him this season. I want to talk about Ugo Chuku, first start in the Premier League. It was kind of an interesting signing, right, in the summer where we were in the press conference when he was quizzed, Pochettino was quizzed about it, and he said, oh, we've brought a young French player that's going to go on loan or may go on loan, almost as if he may have not been involved in the transfer and the, the team and the club had a bigger vision and it didn't work out. And here he is in, here he is now and kind of getting a feel for him. What do you make of his debut and what do you think Pochettino kind of sees him long-term doing at Chelsea Football Club? Decent debut. I wasn't expecting it. I think a lot of us felt Caicedo would come in, but given that he had played, um, I think it was against Bolivia or anyway, he played in the international break and just come back. Uh, he was given the break or he is actually injured, which yeah. baffles me because he's been here less than a month and he, he is just <laughs> picking up on the, an injury in a Chelsea shirt. Um, but I thought Leslie did well. He, for his debut, was pretty uh, active, was able to uh, get involved. And in, in a draw, 
if we had won, maybe you're looking at it a little bit differently. But um, I think once Caicedo and, and Romeo Lavia are fit and ready to go and, and, and adapted and embedded in the squad, Leslie will be a little more of a squad player. But it's good to count on him because I'm thinking if he's not there, what are we what are we doing? We're playing Enzo deeper, sure, but then we're who's playing further forward? Pin this topic of injuries, because I want to talk about that you know later towards the end of the Bournemouth segment, because there are a lot of them and they're coming thick and fast very early on in the season. But one of the people that's been standout so far this season, Rahul, is Raheem Sterling. And I think Raheem has maybe shifted a gear. We've already talked about we expect that from him, being kind of a player that's been in the Premier League, been there, done that for Manchester City, won things, scored many goals. His last couple of games have been better, but in this game, he struggled to find maybe the form he's found in the last few games. What do you chuck this down to? Is it you're changing the players in and around Raheem and he's got to figure it out every time? Or is it just his training is off? Or is it the motivation that's off? Because he did get into good spaces, missed a blaringly open goal, which I said... I was sitting on my couch in the morning and I said, that's a goal. And Raheem just pushes it all the way to the left. And you go, am I half asleep? What happened? Because Raheem Sterling on the last two or three games, he's killing that goal every single day. So what what can you attribute this to? I don't think it was a Burnmouth defense that slowed him down or put him off. It really came down to maybe his lack of awareness at that moment in time. That's that's just Raheem. It's, it's unfortunate. And I say that's just Raheem because... It's the consistency that we've seen or not seen in a Chelsea shirt. Mm. Uh, and when I say we've seen, I meant with missing chances, at least in the Man City shirt or a Liverpool shirt. He he scores goals, but he also has an equal amount of misses mm. where in your in a City team, those don't get as highlighted as they do in the Chelsea <laughs> shirt. Uh, but you score two against Luton, you're expected to kick on. You don't score against Nottingham Forest. You don't score against Bournemouth now. And suddenly everything that we've kind of said about him where he's ready to push forward and he himself has come out and said, I'm ready to fall in love with with the game again, kind of just seems like words, right? Because ultimately you can say all of that, you can do the good stuff, but if you're not scoring the goal in that moment, it's it's just words for me. And and that's where I'm a little critical of him still because, Mm. yes, against after Luton, I ate my humble pie and I said Raheem is, is the real deal. But if you want to be the real deal, you can be the difference maker in this kind of a game where it ends nil-nil or you score the goal and it ends one-nil and it's a whole different mood around the the team. And that's where I'm critical of him. I expect more of him. And he is working with Nicholas Jackson, who's now played what they've played five games together. So it's not like it's completely new. Sure, it is only five games in, but there has to be some understanding, some development there. On the other side, you see Malu Gusto has played the last four of the four of the five games on that side with Raheem. So I, I don't know if it's players that he's not played with or he's still gelling with. Ultimately, I just expect more from him. And when the chances come, I expect him to finish them. But I also know that Raheem isn't consistent in terms of just scoring chance after chance. He will miss his fair share he'd also get a, a few goals here and there. So it gets highlighted again when your team isn't scoring like ours isn't. The Chelsea teams of past, Rahul, have had a talisman they can depend on, right? And we were blessed in the early Roman Abramovich era to have maybe Drogba, Lampard, 
Terry. Those were kind of the three that if Drogba was having a bad day, Terry would score from a corner. If Drogba and Terry could not score, Lampard would blast one from midfield. And then in more recent memory, of course, you think of the likes of Diego Costa, who would honestly just rip up teams by himself and score goals. And if you needed a moment of magic, Aiden Hazard would provide a moment of magic. And I know you don't want to have a player you can rely on, but famously, teams that have been successful do have a couple of players that you can rely on. And you know that when the team as a whole is not performing, that one guy or these couple of guys will wake up and make something happen. As we sit today, and I mean this with full respect, because obviously Thiago Silva has been here a few a few years, and we know he's been one in the past that we can rely on. I can't see anybody in this team I can put my hat on that's going to make something happen out of nothing and really pull us out of the dumpsters. I don't know if there's just a different motivation for these players at this point in time. I know we've changed as a club overall in the last season, season and a half. I don't know if it comes down to they need to be here a little longer. And so as Chelsea fans, you and I need to suffer a little longer till these guys get used to what Chelsea Football Club is all about, what the expectations are all about. And that comes with obviously the manager. But I'm speaking specifically to two talismans that we could have in the team. And a lot has been made of Mikhailo Mudrik and Nicholas Jackson. They had a lovely pairing together in preseason. They seem to find each other, know each other telepathically where the other one was, which is great. You saw flashes of that, Rahul, and that's why I'm asking if time is one of the things. But a lot of hopes on Jackson's shoulders. He's not getting the goals or assists that we potentially were hoping to see from preseason. And Mudrik has now been here going into 20-ish, 25-plus games going back to last season. I understand they're both young. I understand that they need to find their feet. The Premier League is new. But I think we need a little more output from them or at least something where we can say, make something out of nothing. And, and unfortunately, I'm not seeing that at this point. I don't want to be super critical of Jackson because I think he's doing the dirty work that we haven't seen a striker do in a very long time. Obviously, we paid with, played with Kai Havertz up top for a while. But the work rate is there. I think it's the final product. I just want to get your thoughts on those two. I, I agree with you. I, I expect more from them. But I also have to realize that Mudrik came in in January and walked into a mess, which yeah. was our, our club. We had 30-something players. He was one of them, uh, expected to hit the ground running, had the excitement behind him, still has the excitement behind him. And I know people were critical of him in this game. I thought he did decent with, yeah, the, okay. with the opportunities. He, I think, created almost three chances that should have been goals. Um, but he clearly doesn't have Pochettino's trust yet because he got taken off when maybe he was one of our better attacking players. So he needs to work harder. He needs to, honestly, I see him do more on Instagram or in social media. <laughs> um, and I just want him to kind of put his head down, forget about all the noise. I saw one of a, a few, a clip of maybe a few weeks ago where an Arsenal fans kind of trying to banter him. Um, just put your head down, just focus on the basics and do the work that you're expected to do. And honestly, take a few players on. You may lose the ball. Try again. You may lose the ball. But maybe the third or fourth time, you will beat your man. And that's where the confidence will come back, where you can say, yes, I can take this person on. And exploit the pace that you have. You you can run in the behind defenders. You can run into space. We saw that in that first game against Liverpool. I haven't seen it since then. Yeah. And I don't know, it's maybe our system or other teams are like, he's on, let's not give him the space. But football's a game where you naturally end up getting space sometimes when the team's trying to counter you, you win the ball back, you have the space. And that's where I expect him to do better. 
but he also needs game time and you can't expect him to do better when he's given 10, 15 minutes here and there. And in a game where we're losing, he's expected to come on and make the difference. That's, that's not going to work. You can tell he's just a, maybe a more shy, timid guy, Kai Havertz type, um, that just needs the confidence running through him. And, and then we will see the Mudrick that we paid all that money for Nicholas Jackson, Jackie, it's been five games. We saw a, a, a striker in preseason. We saw a lot of things in preseason that we're not seeing now overall. Um, but Nicholas Jackson, it, it will come. He's raw. He's come off a good, decent season with Villarreal. He had a decent start with us. He should have scored against Nottingham Forest. But that's where he's raw, and, and he will learn from those experiences. It's just unfortunate that we're fully reliant on him mm-hmm. and can't turn around and say, who can we bring on? Yes, Abroya is around, or Nkunku could have played that position, but that's that's not the case right now. And that's where the finger needs to be pointed at the club to say, why didn't a striker come in? You spent a billion pounds and bought one out-and-out striker. When for how long have we not been able to score goals? Ever since Diego Costa left in 2017? Yeah. It's now almost seven years, Jackie, and we haven't replaced him. And we replaced Kai Havertz with Nicholas Jackson, which I think is an upgrade. But Nicholas Jackson can't do it all, all, all by himself. And that's where, again, I say I point the finger at, at the club, at the ownership, at the sporting directors. We should have picked up a second striker and said, Jackson, you will get your time, but you have to compete with someone. Mm-hmm. Jackson's going to play 99% of the games now because there's no one else that can come in and, and do the job, which doesn't really help when you're trying to get the best out of someone and not giving them competition. Yeah, and my only defense to that is hopefully that means the team has seen enough of what Armando Broya can become and they're trying to invest in him in the future. But I do agree with you. I think all throughout you know the transfer window, we were seeing a lot of players come in. I mentioned Uguchuku. Did we need another midfielder? Probably not. We saw Desasi come in. He's been stable. He's been all right. Did we need another center back? Probably not. So I'm wondering if that money that we spent between those two players, 50-odd million, could be put towards another striker. Or maybe, Rahul, there are rumors they were saving the money for a January transfer window of the guy from Brentford, Ivan Tony. I don't know if that's true or not, but there are not a lot of good quality number nines out there. So in our opinion, you and I have talked about this at length. Jackson was a good under-the-table find. And so we have to wait and see what they come up. But I do agree with you. It would have been lovely to have some competition I, for one, I'm hoping and praying that Broya is going to come back fit and strong. That's always dangerous with a big injury like that. And maybe David Washington that's come in from Brazil, they might have an idea and plan for. So I'm going to sit back and hope for that. You mentioned Mudrik. Mudrik joined the club that was a mess in January. You and I were talking this morning. A lot of us you know, who listen here have found out that Rahul and I chat all day about Chelsea over text message. You mentioned this club is still a mess, Rahul, going into five games into the season. No shirt sponsor, a club of Chelsea stature, although you are wearing the shirt without a sponsor right now. I'll call that out, and you're enjoying that without a sponsor. But no sponsor. You talked about the transfer business. You talked about the spending. You talked about the results. What's your thoughts on the club overall right now where we stand? Obviously, we draw to Bournemouth. It was not too exciting. And so we're trying to talk about different things in and around the club at this point. Yeah, I, I still stick by what I said to you maybe 12 hours ago, which was the the club just seems like a mess from the outside looking in. And, and I say that not just because of the shirt sponsor, that's one aspect of it, but we've gone from 
two years ago where we were winning trophies. The new owners came in. They said, Tuchel, here you go. There's Koulibaly. There's Raheem Sterling. There's Aubameyang. And then said, you know what? Get out of here. We're, we're going to change our strategy. And they've changed it so much so that we've gone from having maybe closer to a 30-year average age of the squad to being under 22. Yeah. And that's a significant shift from saying, here are experienced players, to all of a sudden we just have a bunch of babies. And I, I call them babies, but it's it's only because of their age, not because of the attitude or anything. Yeah. And... A club of Chelsea's stature, the fan base. I mean, I'm looking at at some of the fans saying, if you don't win against Bournemouth, that's a sackable offense, right? So the expectations are sky high. But the club has evolved and changed significantly over the last two years where who's our most experienced player apart from Thiago Silva? Yeah, it's difficult to look at the starting lineup and pick. Right. And then I look at the starting lineup and I'm like, okay, let me see. Thiago Silva has been here for a while, but apart from that, everyone's new. (laughs) No one really has like just season upon season of of Premier League experience. Yes, Colwell was at Brighton last season. Conor Gallagher has been in and around, but everyone's just new to the league. And while all of that is changing and adapting, we now have Pochettino, who's new to the club. He's come in five games in. He's also learning and adapting. And the expectations are we just got to win. The fan base says we have to win. We have to continue doing things the way we did on the Romans era. And that's all on the pitch. Now, you look at off the pitch, they basically fired the whole backroom staff. They fired everyone above them. They fired everyone that knew anything about the club and said, we're just going to start from scratch. Great. But you're now changing the identity of the club. You're changing everything that the club knew and and went about and then in all of that we've lost a shirt sponsor it's commercial revenue that we're missing out on yes i bought a shirt but i don't think me buying three shirts is covering what a sponsor would be giving this club or even the 30 something million fans that we have so i i look at that i was watching a newcastle documentary if you haven't seen it it's on prime and they were back in january talking about a shirt sponsor for next season that they had to finalize before the end of february or something like that and they said they had over 100 companies that had showed up and they had narrowed it down. And I look at my club and I'm like, we're now in mid-September. Played five Premier League games without a shirt sponsor. Sold thousands, if not millions of shirts without a sponsor. What sponsor is going to want to say, yeah, I'll put my name in front of your shirt while you're in 13th position. And maybe fans won't even buy this because they've already bought a, sp- a sponsorless shirt. It just seems like on the pitch, we're making decisions and changing things. Off the pitch, we're trying to change things and do things. And and all of that, it's all being seen. You and I see it on a Saturday or Sunday where the club's just not performing. And we're just regressing in the sense that our expectations are here, super high. <laughs> but where we are as a club and as, as a squad is, is down here. And somewhere along the lines, two things have to meet. But when will they meet? And and that's where we've been saying we need to give it time and all of that. But it's just a mess where we just need to get through it, I think. We just need to take this on the chin week after week and a few more, maybe 12th, 13th place finish, finishes before things start to settle down. 
So you're saying we need to focus on the magical 40 so we don't go for relegation this season as well. Basically. But in, in all honesty, I think the point you're making is extremely valid and is a point that we need to talk about more, right? We always praise clubs that are run very well. And I talk about Brighton and I hate talking about Brighton because of everything that's gone in and around and the money we've spent with them. But maybe even a Brentford, Rahul, that they are very well run from the outside or from the hierarchy up where you can come into those two clubs and you can say, I'm going to go back two, three, four seasons, right? Brighton finished in 12th, 13th place. And for a club that was new to the Premier League, very small budget, we said, oh, they're punching above their weight. And they kind of build from there and they go into the top half of the table and we go, wow, they're doing really well for their for their budget and for what they're doing. And then Brentford kind of repeats the same thing where they have a very strict model. It's working for them. They've got a coach they believe in and trust and it does that. And you go, Vero, they're punching above their weight. But how often will you say that and how how much can you continue? Because they make the next good move. And now they're no longer punching about their weight. We're expecting Brighton to be in Europe. And same with Brentford is they lose Ivan Tony, but they keep trying to get a grind out the results by bringing in a different player or finding the right player profile for that. Sticking with the manager, by the way, as they kind of standardize things. And so it always comes back to if you're run very well off the pitch, it usually means you can be clear-headed, long-term sighted to make the right decisions for football on the pitch to go well. On the flip side, you look at Chelsea, where we're struggling. I can compare us to an Everton, who has gone through turmoil, managers at the t- change, merry-go-round, ownership that does not want to invest and kind of d- is looking for an exit strategy rather than trying to invest in the club. They're struggling. They're kind of in the same boat as us. You look at a Manchester United, while they have spent a billion-odd very recently, they also have owners who are not interested in the club, maybe not interested on the pitch, and it's translating to what's happening on the pitch. So... I'm very careful because I don't want to say all of the mess that is going on as the owners learn the trade that is the Premier League and the product that is the Premier League is affecting us. But there are some direct correlations we can make. And as Chelsea fans, we're very fickle. We want to make some someone the scapegoat. And we've pointed Rahul at, at a long time at our players, right? We sold a whole team and these t- players have gone on. Pulisic doing very well for Milan. Callum Hudson-Odoi scores a goal this week for... Nottingham Forest on his debut. Tammy Abraham is gone. Fakuri Tamori is gone. I cannot talk about Mason Mount and Kai Havertz yet, but all of these guys have gone on and they're doing well. So is it still them or is it us? So, okay, we don't want to blame the players. We're going to blame the managers. Some of our managers who have all been fired, I pick Carlo Ancelotti, has gone on to win multiple Champions Leagues. And obviously, Jose Mourinho, we know what he brings to the table. I can't speak about Potter yet, but Thomas Tuchel has landed on his feet and gone back to Bayern Munich, right? So... At some point, we keep looking and, and pointing the finger at the players and the managers and things on the pitch. But maybe for now, we reserve criticism, but we really need to get it correct from the top down. We do. And and the criticism isn't a verdict on the owners. It's not to say that we don't see what they're trying to do. It's just that they've tried to do it very fast and basically just turn this club on its head to say... Right. We've come in, we're going to do it our way. It doesn't matter what happens on the pitch. We bring in Potter, we'll back him, we'll give him a six-year contract, or we'll fire him, we'll bring in Lampard, we'll let him go, we'll bring Pochettino. It's it's a lot of decisions that are being made on the fly, mm-hmm. which is fine right now because we're still Chelsea, we're still expected to perform, we're still expected to do things. But if we don't get Europe this season, not even that, but 
we can't spend the way we, we've been spending and say, here's a 10-year contract because those loopholes are getting closed. Yeah. And ultimately, we won't be able to sell players like we did this summer to raise the funds to say, well, our net spend was $100 million. Um, And then you don't get Europe and you're like, here's another season without that revenue. And suddenly you're three, four years into this new ownership group and you're looking back and you're saying, well, what has happened? We have <laughs> Sure, we have Enzo Fernandez, who, by the way, might be moving on. Or we have Caicedo, who, by the way, might be moving on. But what, like, what is happening with the club? And, and that's where we're being critical of them to say, put in the plans now and stick to them. Pochettino has to stay. And it's not because he, there's no other option, but he needs the time. He's He's been given, he's been here, what, two months? Yeah, give or take. Three months, maybe, at this point. And even that decision to bring him in, but also wait till July 1st, where, <laughs> sure, there were issues with PSG and the contract. But in the meantime, players were just leaving in June, one after the other. And maybe he was consulted and maybe he agreed to it or he didn't have a choice. But that's where I'm just like, it just seems very, very messy. But at some point, this mess has to get figured out and settled. And then we have to see those results on the pitch. But uh, are we going to get a sponsor this season? <laughs> Listen, my friend, that remains to be seen. I know we've been linked with a few things, but I think that wraps up Bournemouth for now. Rahul, we spent a lot of time talking, not about the match necessarily, so if you tuned in to hear just a Bournemouth review, I'm sorry, but with a nail-nail, waking up early, it was a bit of a snooze fest. We wanted to talk about the players, the management, the ownership, and things in and around the pitch. So let's take a quick break here, Rahul, for a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back, and we'll talk about some other Premier League teams. The Premier Chelsea has partnered with Fubo TV. Fubo TV is your home for live sports and TV without a cable in the US and Canada. You can watch on all your devices, which means you don't have to miss any of the actions or goals that Chelsea score in the Premier League and Champions League. You heard that right. Fubo TV Networks broadcast Premier League, Champions League, and many other leagues and tournaments. So what are you waiting for? Start your free trial today at FuboTV.com forward slash TPC. All right, let us talk other things other than Chelsea for a few minutes, Rahul. Maybe it'll get your mood a little lighter and happier. Maybe you have some fantasy Premier League players you want to talk <laughs> about and you're excited about that. But we'll talk about Liverpool and Wolves was the first game on the kickoff this week. Uh, 3-1 to Liverpool, Rahul. I think they were a team that we kind of looked at last season and said they're in transition. They have a midfield that's struggling. They're going through changes. We envied them and argued with them all season long for transfer season long, I mean, for Caicedo and Lavia. And you look at all of that. They come in, have a little bit of a slow start against us, but they've kind of gone from strength to strength, Rahul, and kind of back to winning ways. 3-1 against Wolves and in a way as well. Yeah, and they were not in a good place in that first half, but they hung on. Wolves had a few misses, which helps out and and you always know Liverpool have the firepower to yeah. to at least score one goal. In this case, they get three. And I'm looking at now, I'm like, well, they didn't spend $100 million. They ended up with someone way cheaper. They've added a few more pieces along the way. They brought in Graven back. Graven back Graven, yeah. um, final day of the transfer season. So suddenly, they have bolstered their midfield. And their attack, like I said, was always good. Their defense decent they've got a good goalie so they have the pieces that were are needed in and around that midfield to support it and Klopp we know what you get with that so I maybe I predicted them to finish outside the top four and I may have to revisit that 
when we get to the halfway point of the season, we need to go listen to what we said and come back and redo our predictions because this could become another painful season for Chelsea. But I said we're not going to talk about Chelsea. We're moving on. Let's talk about our London rivals that are also doing very well, Rahul, and that's Tottenham. We don't usually like talking about Tottenham in this uh, podcast, but last week I talked about them with Matt. They've had to be pretty good this season, and they've kind of lived up to expectation. They signed Madison, and he's been fantastic for them. They lost Harry Kane, which everybody thought would be the downfall of Tottenham, but they win 2-1 against Sheffield, both goals coming after the 90th minute regular time going into about 106 minutes, I think, was at a time final. And they do the business, Rahul Richarlison squeezing in a goal and then Kulasevsky two minutes later to get the win. I was ready to be like, this is Spurs. They've returned, losing 1-0 <laughs> at home. And then suddenly I'm like, 2-1? What the hell happened here? <laughs> but credit to them and credit to to Ange Postacoglu, who's come in. Not many knew about him. Yes, he won the treble at Celtic, but he's come in and, and everyone predicted that he's come into a tough situation. Mm-hmm. He's losing Harry Kane. Where are the goals going to come from? And they've scored 13 in five games and... I would kill for that kind of a turnout from Chelsea. So um, they're doing well. They're flying. They've got the experience in, in the squad, Jackie. Yeah. I look at them like you're like Sons there, Kulusevski, Richarlison. Even the goalie situation has changed, but they've had they've had defenders. And uh, Basuma, who was so good at Brighton, went to Spurs, wasn't picked. Honestly, I think Conte did Spurs a favor by calling all of them out right before he got fired. (laughs) And we didn't see the result of that last season. But this season, they've come back and become a team and a unit and are working together. Yes, Kane's not there, but they're still scoring goals. Madison's making a difference. And I thought what we're seeing with them is what we'd be seeing with us under Pochettino with the attack and all of that. But maybe we will get there. But credit to them. And and I'm dreading playing them on November 4th away to Tottenham because the way things are going right now, I can almost see it being a big L for us. Listen, we didn't want to talk about Chelsea in this segment. (laughs) So hold off on Chelsea for just a second. Rahul, let's transition into Manchester City. I've spoken about them now a couple of weeks in a row. I say it's business as usual. But for a little bit there, West Ham kind of kicked off first. James Ward-Prowse making that big move from Southampton to West Ham. We haven't spoken about him enough. He didn't get called up for England. He's been brilliant. He continues to be brilliant. But Manchester City in that second half just decided that it's time to carve open West Ham. Man City, I'm just a machine, man. You, <laughs> I watched that game, and I saw West Ham go one up, and I'm like, all right, here we go. Man City might struggle here. We struggle there. Um <laughs> West Ham went and beat Brighton, so they're seriously, you know, gonna gonna pr- create some issues for them. Business as usual, one, 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 two, one, three, one, just to seal it. And just when you think Man City might slip up or have an issue, they just have goals in them. Like we were saying with Liverpool, if it's not Holland, it's Bernardo Silva. If it's not Bernardo Silva, it's Rodri. If it's not Rodri, it's a defender. They just find ways to score, and and ultimately that's when wins you games. Um, and if they're starting off this well, usually they have a hiccup or yeah. two early into the season. They're five out of five. I I fear for the rest of the league. You know, we were worried about who's going to compete with Manchester City. You and I didn't even talk about Liverpool. They're doing well this season to follow up with them. Tottenham was nowhere in our radar. They're doing well to follow up with them. 
on the flip side, Rahul, you and I thought Manchester United would do well this season and come close to Manchester City. They lose 3-1 to Brighton at home. We know that one of their right-wingers, Anthony, is on investigation or, or he's on leave under alleged investigation right now. Jadon Sancho has been banished from the squad. I don't know what's going on there, Rahul. If there's a team that's going through some more turmoil than Chelsea, it might be Manchester United at this point. Uh, they lose 3-1. Brighton's a, a really great team, and there's no shame losing to them. You and I both picked them to do well this season, but maybe get you know distracted by Europe. So far, they've been doing the business, Rahul, and they're sitting in fifth place and showing everybody what they're all about. It's almost like you just have to give Brighton one one of the two games you play with them. You just have to give them the three <laughs> points because they will win one of those two games. And and in this case, they did. They were fantastic. I, I didn't watch the game, but I did watch the highlights and they posted a video of the second goal that they scored. United couldn't put a glove on them. They were just knocked it around. And it wasn't that they were playing high-paced or they were moving it around at a, at a pace where United couldn't keep... It just seemed like a training session where yeah. Brighton went from left to right to center, left to right to center, all the way up the pitch, and then just scored a goal. And I'm like, wow, this is... Sure, United are bad, but you just have to give credit to Brighton for how they work. They work together. They work for each other. And I, it, I was going to say this for Spurs. It is still early in the season. We're only five games in, but... You, you do expect Brighton to create issues for a lot of teams. I really do. And I think, you know, we want to point the finger and said, yes, United are bad. But I think you said it best. We did that last season where, well, Chelsea are not up to scratch or, you know, Brighton got lucky here or there. You can't keep saying that, right? At some point, you've got to believe that that their formula is working and their formula is getting results. And you see it now getting better results than it ever has. And R Roberto De Zerbi, like him or hate him, He's maybe taken them to the next level at this point, which is exciting for a team like Brighton, Rahul, who, if you look back a decade, were maybe not mentioned in these up echelons of the Premier League. And obviously Chelsea was, and now we're looking at where Brighton was four or five years ago. But overall, I think it's just one of those where, like I said, if anybody's having a bad time other than Chelsea, it might, of the top teams, it might be Manchester yeah. United. But I prefer our mess to Manchester United, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't deal with some of the situations they are running into there. But Rahul, let's wrap up the other results with Arsenal, another team that we thought could be competing this season, getting at least close to Manchester City. And they play Everton away. We already talked about Everton for a quick second and their troubles. For all of that, Rahul, the first half with Everton was pretty decent and Arsenal had to squeeze and grind out a result. One nail coming in the form of a nice goal from Leandro Trossard. A fantastic goal and quick movement. They get the ball into the box and he hits it the first time, which I'm like, I'm praying for someone on our team to do that because we want to walk that ball into the net. And sometimes you just have to do what Trossard did, which is hit it and it could go out, it could go in, but at least you've hit it, made an attempt to score the goal where um, the other team's not expecting it. It goes in and they close it out with a 1 0 win, which honestly they deserved. And Everton, the only reason I'm not going to predict us to go down is because I see three or four other teams that are worse than us, and Everton's one of them. Oh, how far the tables have fallen, my friend, that we're looking at the bottom 17, 16 teams and saying we might be above those guys. But Rahul, let me run through the Premier League table really quickly and we'll bring it back to Chelsea for an Aston Villa quick preview over here. But Manchester City, business as usual, five wins in a row. Tottenham in second place, great for them. 
Liverpool in third, Arsenal in fourth, and Brighton in fifth. And a, and a quick call-out for West Ham in sixth. I know it's early days, but last season they were very poor in the Premier League, and they started off pretty strong so far. At the bottom of the table, Luton, I think no surprises there, given their budget and size. They may be ones that are going to struggle. Burnley in 19th, Everton in 18th, and then Sheffield United in 17th. So kind of the usual suspects that we were all looking at, but... That's kind of where it sits with the Premier League table. I skipped Chelsea. We're sitting in 14th. There's no pride in that one. But, hey, we're looking towards the magical 40 this season, Rahul, to not get relegated. To not get relegated, Rahul, one of the things we need to do is beat Aston Villa. And so we're going to do a quick Aston Villa preview here. Before we jump right into it, Rahul, do you want to take us to maybe a predicted 11? Is it going to be a back three, back four with Pochettino? It's going to be a back four, but Colwell's going to continue <laughs> at left back. We're going to get Thiago Silva. We're going to get Di Sassi and Malagusto with Rob Sanchez in goal. And then anything beyond that is anyone's guess, apart from maybe Jackson and Sterling, uh, because it depends on injuries. It depends on Caicedo coming back. And if he's ready, if not, then we just go with what we saw against... Uh, Bournemouth, but if Caicedo is back, would you pair him with Enzo, Connor, Leslie? Yeah, look, I know it's difficult, but I would go with a 4-2-3-1. If Caicedo is fit, I would like to see Caicedo. If not, obviously, I think Leslie would be the right fit. It'd be nice to also have Lavia back into the mix and see what he can do, maybe not start. But I would go at 4-2-3-1, move Enzo into that deeper pivot like you talked about in the previous game. We don't have an attacking midfielder, so I would like to see Conor Gallagher maybe play up higher. Or if we're not going to go with Conor Gallagher... One person we did not talk about, Rahul, that's looked exciting and, and interested in actually trying to get a goal is Cole Palmer. So maybe you find a way to squeeze him into the starting 11. I know it's at the risk of dropping Gallagher, but I think at this point we need some creativity and someone who's eager to take a shot. So I'd like to see him maybe squeeze into that number 10 position at that point in time. And honestly, Barnmouth was a fantastic opportunity to do that with Cole Palmer. I don't know if you'd do that against Villa because you... You want maybe Connor's energy and, and ability to to press and, and just be the, I don't mean this in a bad way, but just be that dog and like yeah. get to every corner of the pitch. Um, so I think he continues, but I, I, I agree. I think Cole Palmer can play between the lines, and we do need that player because Enzo, for how great he is, wants the ball more than just kind of being in that in between the lines. Yeah, because that's something I think we need to improve on is really find a way to break down these teams. I'm hopeful, Rahul, that Aston Villa that have been set up to be a little more attacking uh, as opposed to maybe a Bournemouth would give us a little more room. But at the same time, we need to then rely on De Sassi, Silva, Gusto, Colwell to have a very good time and make sure that they keep their, their attacking players a little more quiet at this point in time. So, But honestly, um, I, I hear you, but I... I look at Emery and I know he will do whatever it takes to get the win. And if that means they just have to sit back, soak it up and hit us on the counter, which they can certainly do with the players that they have. I can see him doing that and, and doing it well. The only thing is they do have a midweek game, if I'm not wrong. Yes, they do. So that would determine who started that game, if they're fit, if they pick up any injuries or anything like that. But I do expect them to sit low, which would be an issue for Chelsea to start with. <laughs> Um, and then just hit us with the with the firepower that they have, which is really good. They have signed some really good players, and not to mention Ollie Watkins from last season was a man on fire as well. We got to see Musa Diaby in preseason scoring some great goals, and Rahul, we still haven't seen the full power that Yuri Tillemans might bring as he's not been starting or playing enough games for Aston Villa at this point in time. So 
I'm cautiously, cautiously optimistic at some point, Rahul. I told you before the podcast kicked off that for these early morning kickoffs, I wake up and you go, it's a waste of time to wake up and watch Chelsea not perform. But I said, I dream sometimes. I hope that when I wake up someday <laughs> in one of these games, it's going to click. And when it clicks, I'm going to have this sense of euphoria and <laughs> running through my body. And that early morning wake up is all worth it as I sit there and I watch my team perform and maybe even win a game so with that hope and that positivity them spreading towards the end of this podcast what is your prediction for this game my friend <laughs> are you are you still in dreamland or are you in reality <laughs> let me let me pinch myself real quick and make sure but i think my my point stands is at some point rahul this has to click i don't know if that's going to be in game number six or game number 16 but at some point it has to click so Give me a score prediction. It, it better be in game number six because by game number <laughs> 16, I don't even know where we'll be. Uh, no, look, this is this is a tough game. It's a, a, against a good team. What I can say is that they have been conceding goals. They've conceded 10. Uh, we've conceded five. They've obviously scored 11. We've scored five. Um, so it just seems like it's set up for a draw, which will be a 1-1 from me. And against a, a, a team that's just ahead of us in terms of togetherness, playing under their manager for a longer time, that's not a bad result. But it will end up being a bad result because we would, then wouldn't have won in three games. And we go into, I think we have Burnley after that or, or Fulham. I might be uh, mixing that up. So, look, if we can win it, that would be great. But I just, I just don't see it. So 1-1 one, one for me. You took all of my energy out for my positivity and said... That's why I was yeah. like, are you still in dreamland? Because you need to wake me up with your reality there. Uh, but no, listen, I think I'm going to stay optimistic and at some point it's got to click. Maybe we can raise our game against the Villa. Maybe there's something we can do at this point, being at home and saying we want to prove to our team that we can give them something, we can give our fans something. We didn't even talk about the fans booing us in the in the previous game against Bournemouth, but... I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. I'm going to go for a 2-0. At some point, it needs to click. Chelsea, please do me the favor and get me two goals. And not concede. And not concede. <laughs> you better just stay sleeping on Sunday. <laughs> Jeez. I may have to dream that, that scoreline, right? <laughs> to just get myself happy and excited in the morning. Yeah, look, and we joke, but it's it's just... We've won six games in 2023, Jackie. <laughs> you know, when we started this season, Rahul, we said anything but last season we want to start something different we want to do something good but enough with the negativity i don't want it to bleed in from last year game number six will be it my friend let's make sure we get that win <laughs> why don't you take us home fingers crossed for for you for me and for all of chelsea fans that this sunday is where it clicks but that wraps it up guys thank you very much for listening please continue to subscribe like and follow us it's at the premier chelsea on all podcast providers instagram and on twitter it's at premier chelsea and we will be back with a new episode hopefully jackie will be right and we will be celebrating but until then stay safe and up the chels hey guys the premier chels is sponsored by kickoff coffee they are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee in other words they're champions league winner and premier league winner every single time they deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something and the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. 
You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.